0: For those that may be listening for the first time, our podcast is an offshoot from our main platform, YouTube. Our channel is called Coffee and Bible Time, where our goal is to help people delight in God's word. We also have a website and storefront with Bible studies, prayer journals, and more. I'm Mentor Mama, and today we are going to be talking about equipping children to think well through a biblical worldview in their informative years and to also help them learn the word of God. You know, children today are faced with so much information coming from so many different places, books and movies and school and hearing conversations outside the home, all at such a very young age. So it's very fair to say that they will encounter many false ideas and worldly perspectives early and often. So it's so important as parents to understand that the world is a changing at a rapid place. And young minds are very impressionable. So being mindful of teaching our young children about the Christian worldview and comparing the information that they receive with the truth of Christianity is critical. And our guest today, Elizabeth Urbanowitz, who is founder and CEO of Foundation Worldview, will be sharing with us how we can, in this media-stressed and crazy world, be intentional about equipping our kids to understand and evaluate biblical truth compared to today's culture. But first, a word from our sponsor.
1: We still have our coupon code available for you guys if you wanted to do online counseling um, with Christian counselors. It's all online. It's via Zoom. You can pick who you want your counselor to be. Very reputable. They all have counseling degrees, so this isn't like some random on the Internet. My mom kind of has a personal testimony to it. Yes.
0: So I actually have done some counseling sessions with Faithful Counseling. And what I really loved about it was that you can actually put in like different qualities that you're looking for in a counselor and specialties, male, female, if they have experience tackling different issues. And so I really loved that idea that I could Go through and kind of pick the one I wanted. And then um, during this COVID season, it was really applicable anyway, since I couldn't leave my house for counseling, that I actually could just do it online. And you even have the opportunity to do a Zoom type call with them, or you can just do um, a phone call, whatever works best for you and so it was just really great to have access to counseling when you when you need it. You know, mm-hmm.
1: absolutely. So, if you guys want ten percent off your first month of doing this, you can go to getfaithful dot slash coffee and Bible time, and you get ten percent off your first month. And of course, it is cheaper than traditional in person counseling anyway. So, overall, it's just a good deal. We really recommend it. But let's just get
0: on to the pocket. Oh. Well, One other thing too is that you have the option of with your counselor that they are Christian counselors. And so if you want, they will actually pray for you, which I thought was so cool. At the end of each of my counseling, she prayed for me and my issues. Oh, wow. Thanks for that. Elizabeth Urbanowitz is a follower of Jesus who is passionate about equipping kids to understand the truth of the Christian worldview. Elizabeth holds a BS in elementary education from Gordon College, an MSED in education from Northern Illinois University, and an MA in Christian apologetics from Biola University. Elizabeth spent the first decade of her professional career teaching in elementary students at a Christian school. Now, she works full-time on developing comparative worldview and apologetics resources for children. Her goal is to prepare the next generation to be lifelong critical thinkers, and most importantly, lifelong
1: disciples of Jesus. Please welcome Elizabeth. Oh, thank you so much for having me on today, Ellen. It's just a joy to be with you.
0: Oh, I'm so excited to have you on our program today. Your topic is just absolutely fascinating. I think not a topic that we hear a lot about. Mm -hmm. So I'm really looking forward to what you have to share with us. So Elizabeth, you are the CEO of the organization called Foundation Worldview. Tell us a little bit about
1: what is Foundation Worldview. Yes. And CEO sounds so impressive. It just means that I'm legally responsible if anything goes wrong. (laughs) Um, but foundation worldview, we are an organization that is really passionate about helping kids know and love and trust Jesus. And, you know, there have been many people praise the Lord throughout human history who have been passionate about this. And, you know, we are A lot of us who know Jesus today are the result of their faithfulness. And just over the past 20 to 30 years, culture has shifted so rapidly simply because of the prevalence of information. Now, when we think of all the different ideas that the kids in our care are faced with in one week, most of the time that volume of information is more than humans throughout history have been presented with in their entire life. Just because we have the information superhighway at our fingertips at all times. And so knowing and loving and trusting Jesus is the same today as it was 2000 years ago. However, helping our kids navigate culture in a way that remains faithful to Jesus looks a little bit different today than it did even 20 and 30 years ago, because we have to prepare them for the vast quantity of information that they're going to face. So we at Foundation Worldview, our goal is to give busy moms and dads and aunts and uncles and grandparents and ministry leaders and Christian educators, just tools that they can take and they can use immediately in their ministry context with the kids that God has placed in their care, just to make the most of these formative years. Ah, that's. Awesome. That's awesome.
0: Well, how did you get started in this work of equipping children to think well and discern truth?
1: Yes. Well, I know this happens for a lot of us. I think this happened for you as well, Ellen, you know, that maybe 20, 30 years ago, you didn't picture yourself as, you know, the host of a podcast and YouTube Mm -hmm. channel. And similar with me, I knew when I was in college that I loved children and that I God had gifted me as a teacher. And so, as you said, in my bio, I spent the first 10 years of my professional career as a Christian educator in an elementary classroom. And I loved teaching and a few years into my teaching experience, I noticed a problem that the majority of the students in my classroom came from wonderful Christian homes where their parents were very intentional. You know, having them in a Christian school wasn't an accident. They really wanted them there for Christian education. I am passionate about scripture and teaching kids scripture. And so I knew that these students were getting a biblically based education for me. And most of them were fairly involved in the local body of Christ as well. And so I thought, okay, there's these three, you know, kids key targets that are being hit but they were still just rapidly absorbing ideas from culture without any question now this is just this is just a comical example but this this shows just you know some of the ways these ideas were seeping in one afternoon i was teaching handwriting cursive handwriting to my students. We were working on the letter J and I was walking around, you know, helping my students form the letter correctly. And I went over to this one sweet little eight-year-old and she had made her loop backwards. And I said, oh, sweetie, that's the way we do a loop for an F to do a loop for a J. We have to go the other way. And she looks up at me with all sincerity and goes, don't judge me. And I burst out laughing just because that was not the response I was expecting, but I thought, wow, this mantra from culture, you know, that we're never supposed to judge anyone and that all judgment is wrong. You know, here she is eight years old, Christian family, Christian school involved in the body of Christ. And she's already absorbed this idea. So right then and there, we had a little conversation and we talked about like, what does it mean to judge? What a judge means to decide if something is right or something is wrong. And then I said, Hmm, is there a right way to make this letter J? Yeah. Are there some wrong ways? Yeah. And then I said, well, is it my job as your teacher to make sure that you're making this J the right way? And she said, yes. I said, oh, why do you know? It's my job to judge your letter J. <laughs> uh, but that and so many other situations that happened in the classroom just made me realize that there was a problem. So I started to seek out what can I do to really help these kids that God has placed in my care, carefully evaluate every idea that they encounter and hold it up against the truth of scripture. And so I started searching for materials that would help me do this. And everything that I found was at the high school level or on up. And I was so glad that those materials existed, you know, because they're, they're vitally important, Mm. but I thought, man, if, if the eight and nine-year-olds in my class are already absorbing ideas from culture, if we wait until they're 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, to begin training them to evaluate every idea and see if it holds up to the truth of God's word, we've lost so much time and we're going to have to do so much reformative work. So I thought, well, you know what? I can start reading books. I can start attending conferences, you know, and I can start, I'm a teacher, so I can start creating materials. So I started creating materials just to teach my students, you know, what does the biblical worldview teach? You know, not just what does one Verse or one chapter say, but what does the entire Bible speak to on a particular subject, like what it means to be human or what truth is or who God is? And then I started teaching them also, okay, so other ideas in our culture, other secular worldviews, what do they teach about this topic? And I was just hoping that, you know, maybe the kids would start to think when they turned on the TV or turned on YouTube. And that happened, but so much bigger than I ever anticipated. Wow. Yeah, Mom started calling me and saying, um, so my son wants to pause family movie night and evaluate the character's worldview. This is great, <laughs> but I don't know how to do this. Can you help me? And then teachers from other grade levels were coming down to my class and saying, how are you getting these kids in your after-school class to think so deeply about science and mathematics and history? Like I've never even thought this deeply about these subjects. And so it was so exciting to see, you know, I just gave the kids these tools and they took it and ran with them and they were excited about reading God's word and they were excited about evaluating ideas. And so this, my goal was just to continue doing that in my classroom. But a few years into doing that, people who had kind of heard the buzz about what was going on, started contacting me and saying, how can we get our hands on what you have? And I said, Oh, you can't like, I'm a third grade teacher. I'm not a publishing house. (laughs) Um, But several years after receiving those requests, that's when the Lord really made it clear that this was something that was needed, you know, not just in the the sphere of influence God had given me, but in the body of Christ at large. So I went back to school, got the master's in apologetics from Biola and then started foundation worldview so that we could equip others to do the same thing that I was doing in my classroom with my students. So God's fingerprints are just all over (laughs) this journey and I'm so grateful for it.
0: Oh, yes. And truly, those 10 years were just a critical part of of the formation of this because you saw what was happening and then you worked towards uh coming up with a solution so that's that's so amazing hey this is mentor mama and i have an incredibly practical tip for all our listeners with over 130 orders i've already placed on instacart I can't tell you enough how much I absolutely love Instacart. If you hate going grocery shopping or always end up coming home with way more items than were on your list, which of course blows your budget, then Instacart is for you. I actually save both time and money using Instacart. I save time shopping because the app keeps track of all my regular purchases, making each subsequent order super fast to enter on my app. I also save time by avoiding checkout lines and driving to and from the store. In addition to saving time, I have saved so much money because I don't get seduced by every new flavor or product on the shelf. My grocery bills have been considerably less. So, If you want to make shopping easy, get delivery via Instacart in as fast as one hour and get your first delivery free. Click the link in our description and start today. Well, Elizabeth, you talk a lot about teaching children to think well. What do you mean by that and and why is it important?
1: Yes, that's a really great question because a lot of times we can use words, but if we never pause (laughs) to, to think about what they mean and what really is the meaning behind them, we might not understand how to move forward with truth. And so- as we think through scripture, scripture talks a lot about the life of the mind, you know, especially in the epistles, it talks about being renewed in the spirit of our minds. You know, Ephesians talks about it. Romans talks about it. You know, it talks about the things that we're supposed to put on. And a lot of times as Christians, we tend to focus on loving God with our heart, loving him with our affections, which is appropriate. We are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then we also focus on the hands, the actions. What what are we doing to make sure we're loving God through the way that we're living? And both the heart and the hands are vital, but sometimes we forget about the head. And in this world where our kids are just confronted with so many different ideas, all of which are claiming to be true, we need to make sure that our kids are able to, one, identify The ideas that are coming their way so that they can pause and say, okay, what is this idea I have just been presented with? Because if they can't ask that question and stop and think, they're probably just going to absorb that thing as truth. So the first we want them to to just be able to ask the question, what is this idea that I've just been presented with? Mm -hmm. Then the second thing is really to evaluate. Is this idea true? Because if it's something that does not line up with scripture, it's not something that they should then accept as true and add to their worldview. So what we're trying to do is really give kids these skills that they can use in any and every situation to pause and say, okay, what did I just hear? How do I know whether or not it is true, because sometimes the mistake that we make, and now this is, this is not meant to be a a sharp criticism, but just a warning. Sometimes the mistake that we make in Christian communities is thinking that faith is blind, that we just trust God without any evidence. And now once we have been redeemed, once we've been reconciled in our relationship to God, we do submit ourselves under the authority of his word that that is our highest and final authority but sometimes what we forget is a lot of our kids aren't there yet a lot of our kids you know haven't come to know and to love and to trust jesus and when we look at scripture god consistently asks us to place our trust our faith in him who we cannot see because everything we can see points to him. And there's a few very clear examples. I mean, woven all throughout scripture, but a few big ones, even just thinking about when God was making his covenant with the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai in Exodus 20, when God was giving the 10 commandments, we tend to think that that chapter begins with, you shall have no other gods before me. And that is the first commandment. However, that's not how the chapter starts. God starts off by saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he gives those commands and think about what God is doing there. God is reminding the people who he is and what had they just seen in Egypt? They had just seen 10 visible signs Mm -hmm. that God was master of the universe. And if that weren't enough, God parted the sea of reeds. And then he went before them as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by evening. So he was reminding them, this is the evidence of who I am now live like this. And we see this like throughout scripture. And another clear example that I love to bring up is in the gospels when John the Baptist is put in prison. Now, John the Baptist was the first one to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. He leapt in utero Mm -hmm. (laughs) when Mary and Elizabeth met. (laughs) And then at the Jordan river, you know, John said, behold the lamb of God who washes away the sins of the world. And then he's put in prison and he starts to wonder, Mm, did I get this right? And he sends his followers to Jesus and he has them ask, you know, are you the one who is to come or should we look for someone else? And Jesus doesn't respond by chastising him by asking him for blind trust. He says, go back and tell John what you hear and see mm-hmm. the blind are receiving their sight. The lame are walking, the deaf are hearing and the dead are being raised up. He gives John this evidence and says, look at, this is where the evidence is pointing. Now put your trust in me. So when I say, I want us to equip our kids to think, well, I want to equip them to ask if what the idea is, how they know it's true. And to know that faith in the God of the universe is not blind Rational belief. It is evidence-based trust with all of the evidence that God has given us. So that's what I mean when I say to think well. Yes.
0: Yes. That's so awesome. And I think about my own personal journey of by just telling someone you need to believe in Jesus and be saved. Like for me, I, I took that in but it wasn't until i learned about the old old testament and how we are, are separated from a holy and perfect god and what all of the, the sacrifices were required in order mm-hmm. to bring us back into a right relationship with god and then how jesus ultimately um was that sacrifice yes. like it wasn't until i had that critical thinking process and understanding yes. that now okay it makes sense for me to follow yes. jesus but to do it blindly <laughs> without having that um, sort of explanation and, you know, historical evidence, if you will, um, that really helped my acceptance of Christ. So that's That's awesome that you're getting them (laughs) to think those things at a young age. You know, there are a lot of worldviews out there. Tell us Um, Talk to us about why you think it's important to teach our children about other worldviews and the Christian worldview at the same time. Like, what are the benefits of doing that? And how do you do this with the word of God as foundation for these conversations?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Head to our website, coffeeandbibletime.com, to learn more about the Academy and course number seven today. Use promo code CBT Podcast, that's CBT Podcast, to get 50% off this course right now at coffeeandbibletime.com.
1: Yeah. That's something that we really believe is important to, you know, to build a foundation on the biblical worldview and then to show kids what other worldviews teach. There is, um there's this quote by anthropologist full um, Oz Guinness, where he says, contrast is the mother of clarity. I always find that I wonder at the gospel more when I see the alternatives. And that's something we want our children to see that. Yes, we want them to know the truth and the goodness and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is made all the more brilliant when they see what the other options are out there, that we don't want those other options to be mysterious and tempting and something that they have to go off and explore, you know, when they're in their late teens or early twenties, we want them to have the opportunity to look at what are those other options out there and how do they compare to the truth of the Christian worldview? Because the beautiful thing about scripture, I mean, there's so many beautiful things. It's the very breath of God, you know, first Mm -hmm. of all, but scripture actually paints an accurate, an accurate picture Of the world around us, that it shows us things exactly as they are. You know, nothing describes the human condition better than God's word. It just provides such an accurate picture. And so when we show our kids other worldviews, they're going to see how those worldviews do not align with reality. So, just an easy example of how we do this is in one of our curriculums that we have out, we look at the question how did life? begin. And of course we have students dive into scripture and look, you know, right. Genesis one, one makes clear (laughs) that God created the heavens and the earth. He created all that is alive by speaking, you know, that God created out of nothing. And then we show them how the evidence all around us around us points to this. And what we do is, First, we just have them give, you know, like we show them pictures of things that are living and things that are non-living. And we just have them identify, you know, what's living, what's non-living. And so we get the definition of life, you know, that living things that they grow, they need nutrients and they make more of themselves. And then we talk about, well, what do all living things have in common? They have those three things because they have information inside of them that they have dna that contains this information then we look at hmm, where do we find information in the world around us and we look at places like stop signs and traffic lights and books we look at even things like mount rushmore you know carved with the president's faces and then we say okay let's see information do we get information on purpose Like, does there have to be some kind of design or do we get it by accident? And what we have them do is we have them look at uh, different Scrabble tiles on a table. And one group of Scrabble tiles is just kind of randomly arranged. And another group spells out the sentence, life contains information. And we have them play detectives and we say, okay, could both of these groups have gotten here purposefully, like, could someone have designed these? Yeah. Both the random one and the sentence someone could have designed. And then we say, Hmm, could both of these have gotten here by accident? We look at, well, the, you know, the random one looks like a complete accident. And then we talk about the one that spells life contains information and we give them a chance to try. We have them take a red solo cup and shake up the letters and dump it out. Have them try 10, 20, 30 times to see we can't even get one word (laughs) accidentally. (laughs) You know, then we talk about if we can't get one word or even one sentence accidentally, what are the chances that we would get DNA, which contains more information than a library full of books? What are the chances of throwing letter tiles on the ground and getting a library full of books? And so we show them, oh my goodness, look at this evidence. What we find in the world around us lines up exactly with what scripture says. Then we have them watch a clip from a Bill Nye, you know, Bill Nye, the science guy, really fun old TV show where Bill Nye talks about DNA and he talks about how it started accidentally. And then we have them sit down and we say, okay, let's evaluate what Bill Nye just said. Did what Bill Nye just said, did it it line up with the evidence we just saw? Mm -mm, Not at all. And the evidence we just saw did it line up with what we saw in God's Word? Absolutely. We see that there is this intelligent being, God, who purposely designed everything. So that's that's the approach we like to take. We like to show them what does Scripture teach on this subject, what does the evidence all around us show, what do other worldviews teach about this, and then what lines up with what is true, so that they're consistently seeing, oh my goodness that what the bible says lines up with what is true and i saw god god was just so kind in allowing me to see early on the res, the results that this type of training could have one of my former students who went through this class with me when she was in fourth grade, when she was in seventh grade, she was just really struggling with doubting whether or not God existed. And her mom had texted me and said, you know, she's, she's struggling with this. Could you pray for her? And I said, absolutely. And then I said, can I also take her out for ice cream? (laughs) And so, so she and I went out for ice cream, you know, we were chatting about a whole bunch of different things. And then I said, you know, your mom shared with me that you're starting to wonder whether or not God exists. Can you tell me more about this? And she kind of hung her head and she said, You know, I've always felt really close to God. She said, And recently I've been praying about a lot of things and God hasn't been answering any of them. And so it's just made me think, you know, maybe this was just a feeling. Maybe this really isn't true. And I looked at her and I said, Oh, I kind of shocked her. I said, Oh, this is so exciting. (laughs) And she looked at me like I had five heads and I said, You know, you're going to really start to think through what you believe and is the Bible actually true. And so then I said, you know, we learned about when you're in fourth grade, we learned, study different worldviews. And I said, you know, if you decide that you don't believe that God exists, you don't believe that Christianity is true. It's not like you have no worldview. You're going to put off the Christian worldview and take on another one. I said, you know, do you remember some of the big questions that worldviews have to answer? And, you know, she's she's talking through the big questions. And I said, okay, let's just pick one of those questions. said, let's talk through how does the Bible answer that question and how do different worldviews answer that question? And she's talking and talking, you know, the ice cream is melting and dripping down her (laughs) arm and I'm refraining (laughs) myself from cleaning it up. And all of a sudden in mid sentence, she kind of does a little gasp. And she said, and I said, what?" And she said, you know, I, I forgot about this. She said, I never really thought through how it's going to be harder for me to believe that God doesn't exist Mm -hmm. and that he does because even if I don't feel like he exists, all the evidence is pointing towards him. And I said, isn't that so interesting? And you know, that's not the end of her faith journey. It's not the end for any of us. She's going to continue to have more questions, more difficult times, but it was just so exciting for me to see that, you know, I didn't have to sit down and give her a lecture. I didn't have to freak out like, oh my goodness, she's turning into an atheist. I just asked her two questions and because she had had this training in the past on her own, she came to the conclusion that it was actually more reasonable for her to believe in the God of the Bible than for her to disbelieve in him. And it was just, it was so exciting.
0: <laughs> um, that's just absolutely brilliant. And it's really taking that information to a level that you saw eloquently can talk them through and, and, for their appropriate age group, the way that they can understand it and form their own conclusions. Mm -hmm. I think it's just phenomenal. Well, let's talk a little bit about Christian parents, you know, sometimes they're just absolutely overwhelmed in this culture. And they're trying so hard as parents to navigate their child's screen time. And they have these pandemic related issues and just constant messaging coming from the world into their homes. Mm-hmm. So, what is your advice to parents? Should they just lock things down and you know not expose their child to screen time, um, or should parents allow their children to be
1: exposed to things that contradict the Christian world faith? Yeah, that's such an interesting question. And so, I'm going to give an answer, and also with a caveat to say that you know God has given each parent the primary responsibility of discipling their child, you know, so I'm going to give some general principles, but each, each family is going to really have to pray through and think through, you know, who, who has God designed my child to be? And therefore what is best for my family? Because obviously there needs to be some discernment that there there, you know, like there's some things that different parents might have different thoughts on with exposing their kids to that, you know, might not really be a moral issue, but it's going to be an issue of conscience. And then there are some things, I mean, that are just evil and vile, and we need to keep our children away from, you know, so that Mm -hmm. we do need to be very, very intentional with what we do let, you know, we, what we do expose our kids Mm -hmm. to what we do allow in our homes. I like to give two analogies that I think are really helpful. And the first one is, um, the analogy from my own life. Um, I am a germaphobe <laughs> and I have been since I was six years old and my first grade teacher read me a book called or read our class, a book called germs make me sick. Well, my first year of teaching, you know, I got sick a lot. Like most first year teachers, usually your first two years of teaching, you get sick a lot. Cause you're just exposed to all these germs, kids are coughing on you and breathing on you and touching your stuff all the time. Usually by year three, you're supposed to have pretty good immunity. Well, for me by year three, I got sick more times than I had even the previous two years. I had 10 sinus infections (laughs) before Christmas break. And so eventually I went to the doctor and I was like, okay, something is wrong. (laughs) Can you help me get to the bottom of it? And so he asked me just some questions about my Routines and rhythms, you know, because I was eating healthy, I was getting sleep, I was exercising. And one of the things that he discovered in our conversation was I didn't have a sink in my classroom. So I couldn't wash my hands. So I was using hand sanitizer a lot. And when I say a lot, I mean I was probably using about 10 times an hour. Like I was constantly using this hand sanitizer. And he said, you know, Elizabeth, hand sanitizer is beneficial before you're going to touch your face, you know, before you rub your eyes or your nose. And before you eat something, he said, it's really good for, you know, cleaning the bacteria off your hands. He said, however, if you're using it all the time, he's like, not only are you killing the bacteria and viruses that you don't want, but you're also killing the healthy bacteria. He said, and you're not allowing your body to be exposed this, you know, this unhelpful bacteria and viruses in small doses. He's like, so therefore you're not gaining any immunity. So he said, what I want you to do is I just want you to either use hand sanitizer or wash your hands before you touch your face and before you eat. And other than that, don't use it. And I was like, oh no, (laughs) what's going to (laughs) happen. But wonder of wonders after that. I honestly, I went four years without another sinus infection (laughs) because my body had the time to develop immunity by being exposed to these germs in very small dosages. And so that's what we want for our children that we, you know, like we're not just like, we're not going to take them, you know, into like, uh, the flu ward in a hospital, you know, like, a, you know, unprotected, that's not healthy. We don't mm-hmm. want to just throw them to the wolves and say, well, here's an iPad, hope it goes well. But what we do want to do is we want to expose them in very small, healthy dosages or dose. Is that the correct word? Dosages (laughs) to, um, to incorrect ideas when we still have the opportunity to talk through them with them so that that way we're developing some natural immunity. So unhealthy ideas in very small guided dosages. Then the second analogy that I like to think through is the analogy of teaching reading because I'm a teacher. Now, when someone is teaching a child how to read They could teach a child to memorize words. They could just show the child words and the child would memorize the shape of the words and what those words say. But if the parent or teacher did that, the child would be completely dependent on that adult in order to ever learn a new word because they would just have to memorize it. But instead, what we do is we teach children 26 different letters, the shape of those letters and the different sounds that those letters can make. And then we teach them to put those letters together. And then by the time a child is in third or fourth grade, they're equipped to sound out any word that they encounter because they know those sounds, they know the letters and they know how to put them together. And so it's the same way with what we want to do for our children that with the vast quantities of information that's coming their way. There's no way we could prepare them for every single thing, because even if we understand, you know, like Snapchat and YouTube and TikTok, there's going to be a new app that comes out, you know, two, two months to two years from now, that's going to mm-hmm. take over the social media scene. Also, even if we very. Are very careful about limiting the screen time that our children have in our home they're still interacting with kids who have unlimited screen time you know even in my even in my christian school i would have issues where kids would expose others to inappropriate content at play dates you know things like that are going to happen so what we want to do is we want to give our kids transferable skills that they can use in any situation. So no matter what idea comes their way, they're able to ask a few key questions like, what is this idea? Does this idea line up with God's word? Is it true? How do I know that? So that no matter what idea comes down the pipeline, they're prepared, just like we prepare our children to read any single word. So in answer to the question, I would say, yes, we should, you know, we should prayerfully consider how can we, you know, just in small dosages, expose our kids kids to incorrect ideas and talk through them with them. And then what skills can we train them in that they're going to take on the road with them, no matter where they are, whether they're eight, whether they're 18, whether they're 28 or 38, that they're always going to be asking themselves these questions. Yes. That's such a great approach and i
0: like to think too about i can remember you know my kids when they got into the teen years them then reminding me of <laughs> things that i should take into better consideration too mm. so they they become little teachers too what a gift <laughs> yeah yeah it's here and we are so excited our new Patreon online community is finally open and you're invited to join us. Your support is so appreciated and important. In fact, it's what allows us at Coffee and Bible Time to continue on with our ministry. We thank you in advance for your support. As we talked about parents in this role, how can you just encourage parents to kind of take a deep breath from this culture? Are there any passages of scripture that you'd like to
1: use to encourage parents? Yeah. I mean, first of all, just, just remembering the sovereignty of God, that this cultural moment is no surprise to the God of the universe that God has you here first at this specific time for a specific plan, you know, and we have been told that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, you know, and that we're also told that all scripture is God breathes and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work that yes, by watching this, you know, this YouTube video, or this podcast, you are seeking to equip yourself And therefore equip the kids that God has placed in your care. So you should be encouraged by your intentionality there. You should be encouraged to know that God's word is going to equip you with the truth that you need to guide your kids through this cultural moment. And it's no accident that God has you alive this year, you know, in this country at this time with the children that he has given you, that that's all purposeful and part of his sovereign plan. Well, thank you for that. Uh, That is, that is an encouragement.
0: Well, another big issue that's facing parents today is discipline. Mm -hmm. Can you just touch maybe briefly on how do parents use the Bible as a foundation for their discipline? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, that's a really important question because so many different ideas are coming even towards us as adults that can be really difficult to navigate. So one just, um, One big worldview issue to think through, you know, it's very clear in scripture that God has placed parents in the role of authority over their children. Now it's also clear with the commands that were given in the epistles that we can do it wrong. You know, fathers are told not to exacerbate to, to, you know, like really agitate their children, Mm -hmm. but to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. And so we need to be careful with what we're doing, but we need to be also careful that we're not buying into the cultural lie that children are the fount of wisdom because most things in our culture, most TV shows, you know, most, even things that are coming through, you know, just even in culture and legislate in legislation are saying, you know, like children know what is best for them. And, you know, we need to remember that folly is bound up in the heart of a child that God has given us these precious children. And we need to recognize that God has given us different wisdom than he's given our children. So we need to be very intentional and not buy into this cultural lie that our children are the ones who know what is best for them. Yes, we do need to be kind and compassionate and loving, and we need to listen to them and we need to intentionally love them, but we need to recognize that they're not in a place yet where they understand what is best for them in the same way that God is our father. And he knows better than we do what is best for us. And then another thing that I would really recommend is making sure that when we are disciplining our children, that we're doing it through the lens of the gospel, you know, the lens of the gospel is that we are image bearers, that you know that have this value that no, that no one can take away from us. You know Genesis one twenty seven says you know and God created man in His own image in the image of God He created him male and female He created them and so we are God's image bearers and then we see in Genesis three that humankind has fallen away from God. You know in Romans three it tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that's where our children are at just like we <laughs> are there that mm-hmm. we have this incredible value. And we are going to continually miss the mark, you know, that that's what sin means. It means missing the mark that we're, we're falling short of the glory of God. So in our discipline, we need to make sure that we're not just trying to modify our child's behavior, that we're not just saying, you know what? It really annoys me when you get in a fight with your siblings or, you know, like it really just rubs me the wrong way. You don't clear the table. Like I asked you to that. Yes, those things are annoying because we're all sinners and we're going (laughs) to, get on each other's nerves, but that our real heart behind that discipline is helping our children see their need for Jesus. So we need to be really careful in the types of questions that we ask them, you know, not just go to your room. Sometimes, you know, we do need to say, go to your room, (laughs) but that we at least have a follow-up conversation to talk about what did you do, you know, so that they actually name their sin. Why did you choose to do it? So that they see that their heart is going to guide them incorrectly. You know, I yelled at my brother because I felt like it. You know, that was what my heart was telling me to do. You know, or I lied to you because I didn't want you to know the truth about this. So that we're really asking intentional questions, and then talk about, okay, what is the right thing to do? What is the only way? That we can do that right thing. You know, the only way that we can do that right thing is by turning from our sin and trusting in Jesus and being empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a life that pleases God. So I think that's those are two really important things to one, be careful that we're not buying into the cultural lie that our children know what's best for them, because Mm -hmm. the majority of the time, They don't. And then the second thing to make sure that when we're disciplining, we're not just trying to modify their behavior, but we're really trying to point them to the truth of the Christian worldview, that they are an image bearer of God that has value that no one can take away, that they have been affected by the fall, that they sin, they're sinful and they choose to sin and that redemption can be found in Jesus. So those would be my two words of encouragement for parents regarding discipline. (laughs) Yes. Amen.
0: Well said. Well said. Well, as Christian parents, um, we of course love God and his word. Mm -hmm. What are some practical tools or advice um, that you would have for encouraging our children to fall in love with God and his word as well?
1: Mm Yes. Yes. Uh, So this is actually something I'm passionate about. I'm actually in the middle, right in the midst right now of writing, um, basically a studying the Bible curriculum, a basic hermeneutics curriculum for children, because another thing that I found in my classroom is, you know, I was planning Bible lessons every day and, you know, they were engaging and exciting and the kids enjoyed them. But one day I stepped back and said, so what happens when I'm not here anymore? Like what happens over summer break? What happens when they go to fourth grade? What happens when they're in high school? You know, are they going to stop seeking God through his word because I'm not there to plan really exciting lessons for them? So I completely changed the way that I taught Bible class after that. After that, I said, you know what? I I mean, I still intentionally planned things, but I said, you know what? I'm not planning these Crazy wild activities. We're going to sit down, we're going to read God's word. And I gave them a few basic Bible study questions that we could use in any passage of scripture that we read. And then we, we would read it together. And then eventually I'd have them do it in small groups and then eventually independently. And after that year, I would have students that would tell me they, they just read through all of scripture, you know, like in fourth and fifth grade. And they would come and tell me, you know, miss you, I'm in lamentations or miss you. I'm in the book of acts. And it was so exciting to see them get really excited. So one thing I would, I encourage parents to do is again, give them these transferable skills that they can use in any passage of scripture. Now, obviously we don't want eight year olds reading through the book of Leviticus on their own, you know, or the song of Solomon, you know, we have to be discerning there, but there are so many passages of scripture that they can read on their own. So the questions that I used to like to have my students ask is first to read a passage and ask, what does this passage teach about God? So that they're used to looking for the character and the nature of God in, you know, scripture. Then after that, asking, what does this passage teach about humans? So looking at, you know, like what do we learn about humans from this passage? And then saving the application part until last, then asking, okay, what should I do now that I know this? So looking at, okay, how does this apply to my life? So I would encourage parents, You know, don't think that your children are too young to be reading scripture. You know, there, there can be value in children's storybook Bibles. Those can be fun. Those can be a great thing to read through together. But I mean, even as young as four and five, you can be reading God's actual word to your children. You know, you're not going to read it for a half hour. That's too long for them developmentally, but even for just three, four, and five minutes. And as soon as your children can read, get them into the Bible, choose easier passages for them to read, because we want to develop this love for God's word. And it's going to be hard to develop that love if they're dependent on us. So we want to create independence. So give them those transferable skills and get them in God's word. Uh.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Which of course is our our mission here is to help people Mm -hmm. delight in God's word. And I love how you're just even setting that age back. And I just want to encourage if there are any parents here that might be thinking, oh, it's too late. I wish I would have done that. It's never too late. It's never too late. Um, I have adult children now. Um, and it's, it's never too late to, to encourage them and even, talk about some of the basic things that, that you just said. Um,
1: and, and the other thing yeah, I wanted oh, go ahead. I was just going to say on a really practical level, so many apps, we can even just have scripture playing throughout our home, you know, just put an app on in your phone. You know, if you have like a 20 year old child, that's like, I'm not into that. Just put it on who knows, you know, when the Holy spirit is going to bring that <laughs> to their mind. Absolutely.
0: Um, the other thing I wanted to mention for for young children and something that really impacted my daughter Taylor was there's um, a Bible, I think it's called the Action Bible. I'll put a link in the show notes, Mm -hmm. but it's actually like sort of um, cartoon renderings of the Mm -hmm. Bible, but, but very well done, very well done. And it actually makes the Bible kind of come to life And so that we found that to be a great tool, too, that you could use alongside then asking the questions that you suggested. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for what you've talked about. How can people find out more information about you and some of the resources that you have?
1: Yes. If they go to foundationworldview.com, we have tons of free resources on there, webinars, blogs, we have a monthly book club, um and then we also have curriculums that you can use and implement in your homes or in your churches or in your schools with the kids that God has placed in your care. So foundationworldview.com. It's <laughs> oh, so awesome. All
0: right, before we go, I just want to ask you a couple of our standard questions here about your favorite Bible study tools. So what Bible do you use and what
1: translation is it? Yes. Good question. So I used to, I use I usually like to have a couple different translations with me just to see, you know, what different translators say sure. when I'm listening to the Bible, I love the ESV version. I just love that translation. And the ESV app has, uh, Kirsten Getty reading it in her wonderful Irish accent. So I love that. So I listen to that all throughout the day, um, in the ESV. And then my favorite Bible study Bible um is called the cultural backgrounds study bible. Um it's published by Zondervan and the reason that I really love that one is you know we're so far removed from the ancient near eastern culture yes, especially yes. and then also the greco-roman culture of the first century. And so the notes in that bible they just give the cultural background of like you know like when it says this item or like the people did this why did they do that? You know what would this have meant in the culture back then. So it just helps Give me just a more clear understanding of okay, how would the original audience have understood this? So I love the cultural background study Bible. Um and I think it, I think it's only published in two versions. I think it's in the NIV and the um the New King James. And so the one I have is in the NIV. Um, so yeah. So I love the cultural background study bible. And then when I'm listening to scripture, I love the ESV app with Kirsten Getty reading it.
0: <laughs> oh, That's so great. I'll make sure I put Um, links to those in our show notes below. How about, do you have any favorite like journaling supplies
1: or anything that you like to use to enhance your Bible study experience? Yes. Well, I, I love journaling. I found, you know, really early on in my Christian walk, when I was in high school, I found that I had a lot of trouble focusing on praying because I I'm a thinker and my mind is constantly going. So I would find, you know, I would start off with dear God, thank you. And then I would be, you know, 20 miles away, (laughs) you know, in that second. So I actually love to journal out my prayers. Um, so that's something that really helps me focus, you know, like after I've just read a passage of scripture, I might, you know, actually write down, you know, some of the verses, or if I'm memorizing a certain passage, I might write that down. And then I really love to respond bond through journaling. Um, and so, you know, the journals that I like, I like, I'm, I'm just a person that likes routine and order. So I just have the same exact journal that I buy from Amazon all the time so that they're all lined up and look the same. Um, but that can look different for different people, but yes, I love, um, I just love prayer journaling in response to reading scripture. Oh, that's awesome. That's a, that's a great, um,
0: way to just enhance and kind of really meditate on what you've learned Mm -hmm. in God's word and when you're journaling. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. How about last one? What is your favorite app or website for Bible study tools?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. I, the, the app that I probably go to most on my phone is blue letter Bible. Um, I'm sure a lot of people say that <laughs> just, you know, I don't have a background in the original languages of the Bible. You know, I don't, I ha- I know basically nothing about Hebrew or Greek. And so <laughs> I really love to be able to go on that app and just, you know, like look at the lexicon and say, okay, what does this word mean in the Greek? Am I missing something? Or what does this word mean in the Hebrew? Am I missing something? I also love how you can just pull up parallel translations. Cause I think it's helpful, you know, to even see, okay, how have different, English speaking translators translated these passages, either similarly or differently. So blue letter Bible is my current favorite. (laughs) Oh, That's awesome. I love that one too. Okay. Well, Elizabeth, thank you
0: so much for being here today to share your thoughts on preparing the next generation to be lifelong critical thinkers. And most importantly, lifelong disciples of Jesus. What you're doing is just so encouraging and so amazing. So delighted to have you on our program today.
1: Oh, for... Well, thank you for having me on. I always been yes. a joy. Oh, good.
0: And for our listeners, you can find all of the, the links to Elizabeth and what we've talked about today in our show notes please share in our YouTube podcast video comments your thoughts and struggles in parenting in today's culture and teaching our children to think critically while navigating culture so that we can all learn from one another. And lastly, head over to the Coffee and Bible Time website for our prayer journals that will help guide and document your prayer life at coffeeandbibletime.com. Thank you so much for joining us today on our podcast. We love you all. Have a blessed day.